don't really think that I will ever move forward. I think that this has changed my life forever. It's really hard to face the reality. It's just a really hard thing to carry around, knowing that this man lost his life. And if I never should have done something different. I will never forget my son being driven off in a police car and seeing the back of his head. I'm Dr. Kelly Browning, the Executive Director of Impact Team Drivers. My conversation with Aiden, Nicole, and Aiden's parents continues. We also hear from California Highway Patrol Officer Chris Baldonado and learn about the consequences of Aiden's choice to engage in reckless and distracted driving. It won't happen to me. A podcast brought to you by Impact Team Drivers in partnership with the California Highway Patrol and the Office of Traffic Safety. Aiden, what were you charged with initially? Initially, I was charged with murder. So that was very hard to comprehend. And that's going to stick for the rest of your life, you know, to be charged with the felony, you know, felony manslaughter, murder, whatever the case is, that sticks with you forever. Uh, not only with you internally, but every piece of paperwork you fill out. Uh, it just it just sticks with you no matter where you go. Officer Baldonado with the uh, California Higher Patrol. I am one of the public information officers for Southern Division. He left the hospital and was taken to a detention center. How did you find out that was going to happen? Oh, that was a horrible story. That was horrible. Um, it was becoming more and more clear to us that they police wanted him out of the hospital. Um, they, they wanted him in custody they wanted him in, in the custody. arraignment date. So they came to the room because they'd been waiting like down the hall. And there was a whole, the medical staff was there, the administration of the hospital, the police, the district <sighs> attorney, everyone was there for yeah. this moment. So our attorney who was still there came in the room and said, they're going to take him now. And we we're like, well, they can't. He's not physically ready to, to leave this setting. I mean, his back is fractured. His, uh, he's recovering from a concussion. Like he's not medically, physically ready to, it wasn't to even leave. A concussion. It was a major head trauma. And um, they, a lead officer came in and was like, we're taking him now and put him in a wheelchair and wheeled him downstairs and Aiden was so scared yeah he they handcuffed him and they put him into a police car and that moment's very real when you see your child handcuffed and put into a police car and you see the stoic terror in their face and he was still so drugged up and in so much pain and scared out of my mind. I'm thinking like, what? I've never been here before. I never thought I'd end up here before. And it's really intimidating at first. Um, you know, they did my intake and asked me like what my name was and all that stuff. And then they had me change out of my clothes that I was in and 
and put on the clothes you wear there, blue pants and the gray shirt. And because I was injured, they took me to the medical unit. But I'm picturing the medical ward being similar to the hospital where I'm going to go to a place where he's got a bed with a curtain at least and nurses around and basically being in a place like a hospital. Well, the medical ward at juvenile detention is the farthest thing from a hospital. Iron fences with barbed wire and guards and towers and it's cold and it's damp and it's gray and it's dreary and it's almost like the sun doesn't shine there. With Aiden, imagine as a teen, you know, you wake up Saturday morning and uh, you wake up kind of whenever you want, you know, you smell bacon in the morning, but now imagine you waking up handcuffed to the bed rail of the hospital bed. Well, when you're in the medical ward, then you're not to be in a situation where you can interact with any other juveniles. So you are in your own room and the room is very small. 10 by 12 foot cell for days and hours at a time. And I was there in the medical unit for, I think it was four or five months because I was so badly injured, I couldn't go to general population. You've got a cot with springs and a mattress, a toilet in your room and a sink. You're not getting any outdoor activity or recreation. That's it. So to me, that's solitary confinement. I mean, you're in your small little room 22 hours every day now imagine instead of going downstairs to eat your breakfast with your family you know kind of make up your day to go with your friends and watch a movie play a game now you're going to be arraigned at court now imagine instead of going to your room after you've gone to the movies, you know, played a, you know, game of ball, go to your room and watch a movie. Now you go into a four by four cell with a, another inmate, you know, has been convicted of multiple crimes. You know, life can change. And, I, and I've seen the process and I've seen the jail system is not, it's not something that any 17 or 18 year old should be doing. You know, the, uh, the, the court process is, is very strict and it's there for a reason and it's there to put bad people away. Um, you know, I, I don't think everyone sets out to be bad, but imagine a young teen having been sheltered from that and then now thrown into the lines then where you're just around negativity, you're around evil. Where was your head mentally? Where were you throughout this process at this point? You're freshly incarcerated. You're still trying to figure out what's going to happen. You found out what charges you have. Well, currently what charge you had was murder. Tell me a little bit about where your your head was. Um, My head was all over the place. Um, I'm constantly having nightmares and flashbacks of the crash. Um, 
getting woken up in the middle of the night from that. I'm thinking about what's going to happen. How long am I going to be here for? Um, I'm definitely thinking about the passenger who's in the car with me. I'm definitely thinking about my parents. And I'm definitely thinking about the victim's family now at the time and kind of thinking like what they're going through right now. And I'm also really concerned about my conditions with my head trauma and fractured back. So I'm trying to get recovered from that. And I'm having all these different thoughts and concerns and worries at the same time. At times I thought I was gonna go crazy. Like I thought I was gonna lose my mind. And you wanna be as supportive and you wanna get through it as, as compassionately as possible. Um, and I will never forget going to visit Aiden one weekend. And I looked at him and I said, I need to take five minutes and be really angry at you. And he said, okay. I said, can you take it? And he said, yes. And I said, I am so mad at you. What were you thinking? What were you doing? Do you know how many laws you broke? Do you know someone lost their life? Do you know how hard this is? Do you know this has changed every single one of our lives? And I had to just let it out. And he looked at me and we both just broke down crying. Yeah, that was the only time I screamed at Aiden over the crash. Aiden, what did you know about the victim? So I found out that the victim was a middle-aged man. Um, he had a family. He was married and he had a stepson who was older. I want to think he's in his like 30s or something. And he also had his son who is like 10 at the time. And that's, I can't imagine what he's going through, knowing that he does, he doesn't have a father anymore to go to his games or play with or go to his events. And my heart breaks for that little boy every day. And I can't imagine if that was my dad. I don't even know what I would do. I don't even want to like even think about it. Like I'd be heartbroken because me and my dad are really close. We do a lot of things together. Um, yeah, I'd imagine that's one of the harder things to think about because it sounds like every time, who did you call when you were in the crash? You called your dad, you know, who did, who stood up for you when you needed help? Your dad. Yeah, um, exactly. And that my dad was always there for me and I'm sure his father was always there for him too. And I remember my mom telling me when she visited me that I have two options right now. I can either find God and persevere through this and have hope and have faith or I'm going to go crazy and take a total spin on my mental health and my conditions that I'm in. When 
Aiden was really at a at a low point, at a bottom point. Um, I think this was. I think he was still even in the hospital. And he said, "Why did Why did God let this happen to me? God doesn't love me. God gave up on me." And I could tell he he was now giving up on himself. And I had to have a very straightforward approach to him and told him that he was very wrong here. God did not do this to him. God did not get in that car that night. God did not choose to let his passenger in the car that night. And certainly God did not push that pedal down faster. You did that. You need to be thanking God every day of your life that he had mercy on you for your choices. And now you need to go make up for those. Over this course of time, I just became a very religious person, which I still am today. It's a lot of guilt and shame you carry around with you. You know, everybody in the community knows that about you. You know, even though Shannon and I weren't the ones driving, still a lot of guilt and shame for us it's definitely affected them a lot i mean i know during the year i was incarcerated it was definitely the hardest time for them not having their son at home and dealing with attorneys and court and things like that so i know how to and after the accident and you know when aiden was in detention we were trying to get back to our life a little bit we'd go out to dinner and we'd hear people talking behind, you know, well, that was the boy, you know, he's the one who's in detention, you know, and you hear people whispering behind your back or. I mean, it got to a point where I couldn't even go to like the grocery store because people would whisper things behind my back or call me just rude names. My mom pulled me out of school because of all of the tremendous, immense hate that I was getting. So I went into homeschooling. Aiden, how did this affect your little sister? It affected her tremendously. I remember I walked into the visiting center and I was handcuffed and shackled and she grew a lot. Like it, like I don't know if you've ever had this happen when you don't see someone for a while and they like just completely change. It's like, whoa, that's how it was seeing my sister. And I know she was really hurt by it, not being able to have her older brother at home. And she was getting a lot of kids out of school were talking about it and kind of pointing at her, oh, that's her brother, all this kind of stuff. And I always remember her telling me she, she was out of town with my mom when it happened. And they told me that she was like in so much shock when she heard what happened. Like she was like throwing up like on the plane and like constantly. So yeah. I mean, your actions definitely affect other people around you. I couldn't handle it in the way we typically would handle situations because we desperately wanted to reach out to that family. And apologize for what happened, help in any way we could. We just wanted to reach out. 
And we were prohibited from doing that le legally. The attorneys just were like, no, absolutely not. You can't. Um, and I don't know that they even wanted, that the family even wanted us to, but, but it was something we desperately wanted to do because we spiritually felt this is the right thing to do. You have to do this. As Aiden's parents, it's our obligation to reach out to this other family and help them with the trauma and loss and everything they're going through, not just what we're going through. Shanna, what do you worry about for Aiden's future? My biggest worry is that will Aiden never forgive himself? You know, PTSD is a really real thing. He suffers from a lot of PTSD from the accident, you know, flashbacks, nightmares, shame, guilt. Um, I mean, uh, on one hand, I'm, I'm so glad to see it's a hard thing for him. It makes me believe that he really, you know, has these deep feelings about what he caused. Um, I'd be more worried if he like wasn't thinking about it and wasn't upset. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it, it's painful to watch your child going through this. And yet I'm grateful and glad to see him struggling so badly with it. I don't think you ever rectify it. I think it's something that we and Aiden will have to live with and process for the rest of our lives. Join us for episode three, where we conclude Aiden's story and provide you with strategies to keep you, your friends and others safe. Fatalities due to reckless and distracted driving are 100% preventable. Aiden and his family choose to share the worst moment in their life in the hopes that each of us will make better decisions. It Won't Happen to Me is produced by Impacting Drivers with support from the California Highway Patrol and funding provided by the California Office of Traffic Safety through the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Subscribe and share this podcast to help stop preventable car crashes.